0: Last Sunday evening we began a new series we've called Project Build, looking together at Nehemiah, the man of the book and the message. We're with Israel in the 5th century BC and it's all about the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And we're learning about what was going on all those years ago and what lessons we can learn from the experience of the Lord's people in uh, those days uh, for ourselves as Christians and uh, as a church in uh, our generation in the 21st century. The last time we looked together at Nehemiah chapter 1. We saw in that chapter how uh, Nehemiah heard from Jerusalem, and then prayed for Jerusalem. But central to the chapter was the fact that he wept, verse 4. He was moved to tears. Unless he had been moved to tears, then though he had heard what he had heard, he would never have prayed how he prayed. But Nehemiah being Having heard uh, from Jerusalem uh, about the, the uh, city lying waste, the walls are being broken down and the gates being burned down, he was moved to tears. And being uh, moved to tears, he prayed. He cried out to the Lord uh, for Jerusalem and uh, for the rebuilding of the walls. He was moved uh, by the fact that Jerusalem's statement that God's glory had been veiled he was moved by the fact that Jerusalem state meant that uh, the God's people's joy had been weakened and he was moved by the fact that Jerusalem state meant that the uh, God's gospel light the light of God's gospel had been uh, dimmed but this evening we're coming on to the chapter that Alan has read in our hearing Nehemiah uh, chapter a uh, two which again is a a chapter of two halves. Uh, We might summarize them like this. In the first half, uh, Nehemiah uh, speaks uh, to the king, to King Artaxerxes, uh, seeking permission uh, to go and to engage in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. So in the first half of the chapter, he speaks to the king, and then in the second half of the chapter, he goes uh, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And there he surveys the scene and begins uh, this uh, great work of rebuilding uh, the walls. There are many things in this second chapter, uh, but I think one of the things that comes through very strongly in uh, the narrative here in Nehemiah chapter 2 is Nehemiah's character, the kind of man that God had... uh, shaped nehemiah uh, to be and how significant nehemiah's character is to what happens in this uh, chapter and to the unfolding drama as it's narrated for us in the rest of the book nehemiah was the kind of man who was willing to go wherever the lord would have him to go he was the kind of person who was willing uh, to do whatever the lord would Would have him to do. We see that in both halves of the chapter. He was willing to speak uh, to the king. Though by doing so he was really uh, taking his life in his hands. And then in the second half of the chapter. He was willing to go uh, to Jerusalem. To go outside of his comfort zone. And to go to Jerusalem. And to lead this great uh, building uh, project. We're going to call the message from God's word tonight at God's disposal. At God's disposal. Because I believe that's where Nehemiah put himself. And that's why the Lord was able to use him in the way that he did. And that's where the Lord would have us put ourselves individually as Christians and together as a church. At God's disposal. In order that in our day as Nehemiah in his generation we might be those whom the Lord can use in the work of the gospel and in the building of his kingdom. Looking at this chapter tonight, with the Lord's help, we're going to identify five characteristics that Nehemiah exemplifies. Five things that undoubtedly were were true of him by the grace of God. And five things that we might pray and long would be a true of us too. That if these characteristics were our characteristics in, in any sense to, uh, similar to which uh, they were Nehemiah's, then what a blessing that would be for us as individuals to one another and uh, uh, to our day in which we serve. These were characteristics God used in Nehemiah all those years ago and they're characteristics that God still blesses in his people uh, today. Five of them. Number one, Nehemiah was dependent. He was a dependent. We see in the early verses of this chapter both how he felt and uh, how he dealt with how he felt. And both are important. Because in the Christian life and in church life, it's not just about how we feel. No, more importantly, it's a question of how we deal with how we feel. How did Nehemiah feel in the beginning Of this chapter. Well, we don't have to guess. He tells us very simply and straightforwardly at the end of the second verse, he says, So I became dreadfully afraid. Why did Nehemiah feel afraid? Well, because he was sad in the king's presence and the king had noticed uh, that he was sad in his presence. Presence. Nehemiah chapter 1 ended by uh, telling us that Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. He was the cupbearer uh, to King Artaxerxes. And then Nehemiah chapter 2 uh, begins uh, with uh, Nehemiah uh, in the king's presence, serving uh, the king's wine. And you see from the first two verses how the king uh, notices uh, that Nehemiah's face is Is sad. And so he says to him verse 2. Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. And so Nehemiah writes that he became dreadfully afraid. Because sad in the king's presence was well up the list of things you were never supposed to be. Not if you wanted to keep your head. Not if you wanted to keep your life. So Nehemiah is very straightforward about the fact that he feels not just afraid, but dreadfully afraid. But it's not just how he felt. The question I say is, how did he deal with how he felt? And again, we don't have to guess. Nehemiah tells us again, simply, straightforwardly. End of verse 4. So I prayed to the God of heaven. We've already seen that Nehemiah is a man of prayer. The majority of the first chapter was a prayer uh, that Nehemiah prayed. And here he is again. One of those, perhaps what we sometimes call, arrow prayers. When suddenly we find ourselves in a uh, uh, a difficult situation and we we shoot narrow prayer up into the courts of heaven and cry out uh, to the Lord uh, for help. So Nehemiah, he prayed in chapter 1 and he prays again in chapter 2. And it's his praying... But demonstrates his dependence. Because the less we pray, the more independent we think we are. Whether we're thinking that through consciously or not, the less we pray, clearly the more independent we think we are, the less we feel our need of God's help. Whereas the opposite is also true. The more we pray, the more dependent we are. Clearly, if we pray more, then that, is, that illustrates the fact that we feel our dependence, that we know that our own strength is but weakness, that our own sufficiency is but insufficiency, and we need the Lord's help in whatever situation we find ourselves So the first thing we're learning from this chapter tonight is that the Lord could use Nehemiah because he was dependent. Yes, in many ways, Nehemiah was weak, as we all are. But his weakness wasn't the problem, wasn't a problem, because he was honest about it. He faced up to it. And it drove him to the Lord in uh, dependence. Nehemiah was dependent. Prayerfully dependent. And all that we might be likewise as individuals and uh, as a church. Second characteristic. Nehemiah was courageous. He was courageous. You see fear saps courage. But prayer emboldens. Nehemiah had simply been afraid. Then that would have sacked him of his courage. All the courage would have drained out of him. But as one who was dependent. And as one who went to the Lord in in prayer. Despite his weakness. He was emboldened to exhibit great courage. The courage to admit honestly that he couldn't do this without the lord's help and the courage to make his bold request of the king he admits honestly verse three may the king live forever why should my face not be sad when the city the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. You see his honest admission there. There's no disrespect. He begins, may the king live forever. It's not, uh, we don't get the tone of voice inscripted, do we? Uh, but I don't think he's saying, well, why shouldn't I be sad? No, no. He speaks with great respect uh, to the king. But he's not dishonest. He doesn't just brush it off. He doesn't just say, oh, it's nothing. It doesn't matter. No, he's honest. He admits, why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? But he doesn't stop with his honest admission. He moves on to a bold request. He asks the king to send him to Judah, verse 5, and then... He doesn't stop there, but he's so emboldened that he asks the king to, uh, for letters, verse 7, to, to take with him, uh, to help him on his journey and in the project upon which he is about to embark. Mm-hmm. Now be in no doubt about it, that in speaking to the king this way, though he did so respectfully, In making these requests of the king, Nehemiah was taking his life in his hands. Humanly speaking, he had no idea what Artaxerxes' reaction would be uh, to his request. But such was his prayerful faith that he was emboldened in great courage uh, to make his request. He believed his request was big enough To make big enough to be worth making, big enough to stake everything upon it. But more than that, he didn't just believe that his request was big enough to make, but he believed that his God was big enough to see that his request was granted. Nehemiah was courageous, not a not a natural courage, but a prayerful courage inspired by faithful dependence and the Lord could use Nehemiah because he was courageous humanly speaking if Nehemiah had not exhibited the courage that we see in these verses uh, then the walls of Jerusalem would never have been rebuilt but Nehemiah sought with the Lord's help to be courageous and thereby to put himself at God's disposal. So Nehemiah was dependent. Nehemiah was courageous. Number three, Nehemiah was strategic. He was strategic. To put it rather colloquially, he was a man with a plan. He didn't believe, as some seem to do, that God and plans are opposed uh, to one another. Rather, he understood that we need God. Of course we need God. But we also need plans. Our God is the God who has plans. And so if we would be godly, uh, then we too must have plans. Seeking, of course, that our plans would be his plans, the plans of That he would have us uh, to have. We see from this unfolding chapter that that Nehemiah had um, two uh, plans. The first half of the chapter, he had a plan to to get to Jerusalem. As we've seen, he needed to ask the king's permission to go, and he does that in verses 5 and 6. And then uh, he sought to ask for for letters to help, verses 7 and 8, to to smooth the way and to assist him in this tremendous endeavour. So he had a plan to get to Jerusalem. But he didn't just have a plan to get there. He also had a plan for once he got to Jerusalem. And that plan had at least three ingredients. First of all, there's rest. I'm getting that from verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Perhaps you think I'm reading into the text. Well, if you do, we don't have to fall out about it. But why was he there three days before he did anything? Well, quite possibly at least one reason was that he'd come on a long and an arduous journey. And so he rested. He wanted to be refreshed. He wanted to be properly ready and prepared before he undertook what he was going to do in Jerusalem second ingredient that's definitely in the passage that we can't argue with was a survey. We read the chapter earlier, we don't need to read these verses all the way through again. But verse 12, he arises in the night, he takes a few men with him. He didn't tell others what he was doing, but verses 12 to 16, he, he goes around the city and he looks at the broken down walls and the burnt down gates and he surveys the scene. He sees what's the damage. He sees the scale of the task. He thinks about how best uh, to approach the project. What's best next? So there's rest and there's survey. But also in this chapter uh, there's a rally. He rallies the troops, so to speak. Verses 17 and 18. He seeks to... To call the people to work and to action. Then I said to them, 17, you see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me. And also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands uh, to this uh, good work. So Nehemiah, he had a plan to get to Jerusalem, first half of the chapter. He had a plan once he got to Jerusalem, the second half of the chapter. There's an old saying in our English language, isn't there? If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And that's very true. And it's not just true in the ordinary things of life, but it's, it's true in the spiritual realm too. Nehemiah understood that he needed to know what to do and he needed to have a plan of how to do it. And as it was for Nehemiah and for God's people in his time, so it is for us as God's people in our time day and uh, generation scripture of course gives us principles and we are to look uh, to the scriptures uh, for our principles uh, for christian living and uh, for uh, our work and witness as a church and then from those principles we have to work out the details of our practice That's what we see Nehemiah doing here in Nehemiah 2 and the subsequent chapters. He understood that it was not good that Jerusalem lay in waste. He understood that it was uh, necessary for the walls to be uh, rebuilt. And he sought in a practical and a meaningful way to take uh, that project uh, forward. And similarly we are called together with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to build His church we know that ultimately it's his church and he builds it but we're reminded in the Psalms aren't we uh, that unless the Lord builds a house uh, they labor in vain who build it and that verse reminds us of two things one that it's the Lord who must build but similarly that the Lord uses us uh, to build and so we are called to help to build the church of Jesus Christ particularly in this community. As we are part of this local church and together seek to work together that the church might grow and that it might flourish by God's grace and uh, to his glory. And that means we must be strategic. We don't just sort of bumble along hoping that everything will work out all right. But we need scriptural principles and then we need a plan. Nehemiah was strategic are you still with me so he was dependent and he was courageous and he was a strategic number four nehemiah was resilient he was resilient because it's clear from the pages of scripture that faithful service will always meet with determined opposition it will Faithful service will always meet with determined opposition. And Nehemiah was no exception. Because we read in this chapter of these fellows, Sanballat, Tobiah and uh, Geshem. Uh, They're in verses 9 and 10 and then they rear their ugly heads again in verses 19 and 20. We're told in verses 9 and 10 that they were deeply disturbed. Why were they deeply disturbed? Well, verse 10, that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. These fellows weren't interested in the well-being of the children of Israel, and they were deeply disturbed that anyone else would be. Not only were they deeply disturbed, verses 9 and 10, but we're told also uh, that they laughed and they despised, verses 19 and 20. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing, this whole project? the very idea of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. To these fellows, it was laughable and that they hoped they they could uh, quickly uh, sap uh, the energies of Nehemiah and his team uh, by their derision. They regarded it as a foolish waste of time. They said to Nehemiah and to his team, you're wasting your time. And let's be honest, that's exactly what the world thinks about the church. Always has, always will. To the world, the church is a laughing stock. We're simply wasting our time. More sadly, sometimes that's what parts of the professing church think about the true church. Are those who would call themselves Christians and yet uh, do not really truly submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And they see faithful Christians and faithful churches who really love God and who take his word seriously and seek to be faithful and they laugh us to scorn. Even sadder still, it's what some true believers think about those who are more zealous than they are in the things of God. They think, well, yes, uh, we want to take the Christian life seriously, and we want to take church seriously, but really, we don't want to take it that seriously. No, some of our Christian friends, they say they're just, they're just a little bit overzealous. They're a little bit too keen. They just need to calm down and to be a bit less enthusiastic. So faithful service met with determined opposition in Nehemiah's day. And faithful service still meets with determined opposition in our generation. So Nehemiah needed to be resilient. And we need to be resilient too. And what does it mean to be resilient? Well let's put it this way. It means... To cultivate a tough skin and a soft heart. You see, by nature, we would all tend to uh, have a soft skin and a hard heart. But if we're truly to be resilient, if we're truly to stand, if we're truly to persevere, if we're truly to be useful in the Lord's service, then we need to develop a tough skin, but at the same time, a soft heart. A tough skin that we might not allow the Sanballats, the Tobias, the Geshems of this world to get to us, but at the same time, a soft heart that we might not be that we might not become cynical, that we might not become bitter, that we might not become unduly discouraged. Nehemiah was resilient, and we too are called to resilience. So Nehemiah was dependent, he was courageous, he was strategic, he was resilient. I, I promised you a handful, so here's number five. Nehemiah was persuasive. He was persuasive. Nehemiah understood that he couldn't perform this great task alone. He needed others to help. He believed that it was in everyone's best interests. This wasn't some personal vanity project on behalf of Nehemiah. But rather he sought the glory of God and the good of his people in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And so being persuaded himself of the importance of the task, he sought to persuade others to join him in it. He sought to win hearts and minds. And so we have these two verses which in many ways stand out in what is an action-packed chapter, verses 17 and 18. In verse 17, we read about how Nehemiah spoke to the people about the distress that they were in. Verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, And its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. He rehearses the facts. Jerusalem lies waste. The gates are burned down. The walls are broken down. And he seeks to persuade the people that it ought not to be this way. And that something needs uh, to be done. And then. Having spoken of the distress that they were in, verse 17, he testifies (coughs) to the hand of his God having been upon him, verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So he narrates to these people what we've read about in the earlier part of this second chapter. With the result that Nehemiah having said, verse 17, come and let us build... They said, end of verse 18, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. So he testifies of his own experience. He tells them the story so far. He speaks of how the Lord has been with him and helped him uh, to this point. So that Nehemiah says to the people, verse 17, let's build And the people respond by saying to Nehemiah, verse 18, let's build. And we're told at the end of the verse that they set their hands to this good work. You see what's happening here. Nehemiah is taking the initiative. He's casting the vision. He's inspiring the people. He is willing to persuade and the people are willing to be persuaded. He has put himself at God's disposal. And he is now calling the people to put themselves at his disposal. He asks nothing of them that he is not willing to give himself. But he desires that together they may be at God's disposal. That together they may rise and build. And rise and build is what? Together they do. So we have something of a portrait of this godly man, Nehemiah, in our chapter for tonight. We've just highlighted five key characteristics of the man that God had made him to be. That he was dependent, courageous, strategic, resilient and persuasive. That as such he put himself at God's disposal and that as such the Lord used him mightily uh, in uh, this great work to which he had called him. And the Lord calls us too, individually as Christians and together as a church, to put ourselves at his disposal. To make ourselves available. For his service. To seek by prayer. By study of the scriptures. And by mutual encouragement. To, to develop in ourselves. And in one another. Dependence. Courage. Strategy. Resilience. Persuasion. That as Nehemiah. And his team. Rose. Rose. And built for God in their day. So we together might rise and build for God in our generation. We cannot do it without him. But he would choose to do it through men and women like us. He calls us this evening. To place ourselves at God's disposal. We shall see from the unfolding story. That when God's people. Put themselves at his disposal. There is no limit. To what he can do. In and through them. That was the experience of Nehemiah. And others in his time. May it be our experience too. And may we be each and every one At the disposal Of our great and gracious God. Amen.